can only give if you feel like you have something so it always have to start within you right you feel like you are enough welcome back to another episode of everyday endorphins you just heard from soraya riha soraya who also goes by aya is the founder of Project Child Indonesia, a community-based nonprofit that works to alleviate poverty in the coastal and riverside communities of Indonesia. Their vision is for every child in Indonesia to have the opportunity to learn, to have a healthy life, and to feel supported and secure in a clean living environment that is prepared for natural disasters. Aya and I met in Bali, where we were both completing the yoga teacher training course this past summer. And we quickly became very close friends. And as I got to know her better over the course of those two months, I was able to discover her passions beyond yoga and all the incredible work she's done, creating her own nonprofit, working as an entrepreneur, and learning from her life wisdom. Aya is one of the kindest and most open-hearted people that I've met ever. And she automatically took me under her wing in Bali during the program and after when I was hanging out and just relaxing in Changu. She made me feel at home and she also acted as almost like a mentor figure for me as I had just graduated college, had a lot of time on my hands doing fun things and then was about to enter a corporate world and start my first job. And also, Aya growing up in Indonesia had a very different lifestyle than myself growing up in New York City. So it was really amazing to hear about the differences and similarities in our childhoods across separate parts of the world. But in this episode, Aya and I really focus on the wellness and giving. So the benefits that are derived from cultivating a giving mindset and giving back to other people, which is what she's focused her whole life on doing. I don't want to give too much away in this episode, so without further ado, let's get into it. But before we dive right in, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Anchor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, Aya. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. You have a podcast voice. <laughs> Thank you. I've heard that a lot, actually, as I've taught my yoga classes in the teacher training. (laughs) But welcome. Thank you for having me, Stella. It's a pleasure. It's also really funny being in a more professional setting as I've gotten to know you in such a fun and casual and friendly way over the past almost month and a half now. The theme of this episode is about volunteering, giving back, and the wellness that comes with giving back to your community. And you shared this amazing quote with me in passing in a conversation a few weeks ago, saying, with every opportunity, we have the responsibility to give back. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I really, really um, think that is a powerful sentence for me. Like every time I hear it or I hear me, 
talking about it, it reminds me again why I do this work. Um, I feel like very privileged. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I grew up in a remote island in the middle of nowhere. At that time, we didn't even have like a library uh, and, and I love reading. So um, it wasn't much for me there. But I feel like very, very privileged. Like um, with my parents, they are very supportive. They're always bringing me books <laughs> to That's read. That's good, yeah. <laughs> They'd go like out of their way to find some books for me to read. Um, so yeah, uh, with all of that opportunity that is... Uh, been given to me I always feel that not just a passion but an urge to give back so let's talk about where you grew up being on this remote island in the middle of Indonesia and how your childhood was a very formative experience for you developing these passions around education and community service and humanitarian work I grew up in in a little island right like it's like beautiful like a postcard beach like white sandy palm trees like water like crystal clear so I spent a lot of time connecting with nature Um, my parents they love reading so we grew up like having a lot of books music um, good food at home (laughs) Uh, it's the place is far so it, it's I remember like it took us three days on a boat to get to the capital of Indonesia Jakarta that's how far it is on a and boat on a boat <laughs> <laughs> at that time when in my childhood there was no airport in the island so yeah we often get like um, um, blackouts because there is not enough power for there to power the, the island lucky enough we didn't have much of TV time <laughs> Yeah. So I spent a lot of time outdoor, just like swimming, uh, free diving with my cousins, like checking out the fishes. Really being connected to nature. Really, that being was your childhood. Yeah, really being connected to nature. And my parents, they're very social. I think their personalities, but also their job. I grew up with my dad, like being a politician in my little town, and he always have people come over and it is his passion to serve the community so he's taking um, education and uh, public health very seriously I often hear this like type of like dinner talk between him and my mom and me and my sister just caught up in a adult conversation (laughs) (laughs) which wasn't boring for me this is the first time like I realized like yeah these topics they are they are not just interesting, they are important to talk about. Absolutely, and this is kind of what informed your passion for the education sector in particular. And when you went to university, you studied regional development, also community development. Can you talk a little bit more about your studies and then how that transitioned into you founding your nonprofit, Project Child Indonesia? With that, like, type of like dinner talk all the time right we hear about like the political issues economy and and social disparities at home Uh, and my passion in like connecting with nature i thought like it would be really nice to study both and that that led me to to choose this Um, i had an opportunity like um scholarship to go to like one of the best university in Indonesia and I thought like okay I'm just gonna learn sustainability and development to combine both side 
of the uh, physical environment and economy so that's what i study and during my study i found out obviously that i really love studying about the coastal area the ocean and the beach and its people the economy um, that grows uh, around that that place how people really live their life it's shocking for me to realize a lot of poverty happen along the beach in indonesia i mean this country has the second longest coastal line in the world after canada we are basically just like coastals everywhere and in that area a lot of vacant land like government owned or just vacant so it attract a lot of like people who don't have access to land they build like illegal housing and create slums around in the coastal area in the coastal area so it attracts a lot of like poverty later on I realize it's not only on the beach but also on the um, uh, river banks because that's also like vacant land so all of this vacant land then become like very attractive for for the disadvantaged community to come in and try to build life there to have a little bit sense of stability and home I remember I start like being very interested in this particular community the sea people of the coast of Sulawesi in um, in Indonesia uh, in Wakatobi Island so they are the last living sea nomads um, sea nomads uh, that's they are, what they're they, called yeah like the Bajo community so like the generation before now they were still like sailing and having like really no roots anywhere like their boat is their home <laughs> wow sea nomads i've never heard that term before yeah this is the last living one um so their grandparents were sea nomads and like right now like they're landed not really like i mean like they built like communities like houses just off the coast like on top of the water like still the house but like right on top of right the water. on top of the water um and they they live there you know and of course like there's very little access to electricity almost no access to health care very little access to education live mainly from nature like the whole economy built on their ability to get something out of nature and sell it and i thought like people who live in the area with very rich natural resources sometimes also the poorest and i wonder why looking deeper into it we realize right is our economy system not created so equally so the way we do our economy create a lot of disparity um that's that's what happened that's what i see i was like in um research with this community I met the children playing with them and I thought like maybe I do something you know give back because they are giving me a lot of material for my research and 
they've welcomed me to their home with their very limited like water resources they share it with me you know and this is when you were doing your master's right you were doing your your, your bachelor, thesis um bachelor thesis your like, bachelor thesis yeah. before you got your master's degree before before mm-hmm. but i continue my second mm-hmm. like research there as well mm-hmm. so i i was really hooked you know yeah. by this community so i went back to the library there is a little island there like half an hour paddle from the community like and there is a library by Essex University mm-hmm. London so mm-hmm. they built like a research centers because they realized how rich this area like every other week they would find new species for example that's how how crazy bridge the nature is so, so biodiverse so biodiverse it's like a hotspot for biodiversity facing a lot of stress because people who live there would have to take something out of the ocean to make a living you know so i went back to the library i grabbed this book like fish atlas it contains like thousands of different fishes their names like you know in their local names their english names like so you're a fish connoisseur now yeah yeah. (laughs) i thought like i took this book and like show it to the children as part of me giving back (laughs) to the community probably like talking to the children educating them about the species little did i know i am being educated by them so i opened the book and i was just like oh do you know this fish and they start shouting like local names for all the fishes like and we were talking like five six years old like wow they understand so much of nature they live so closely with nature they, they could name like most of the fish i was impressed i was just like wow it's 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 very exciting for me and i realized i love i love this type of job i love like seeing like children's curiosity i'm a very curious person so i always see myself in them (laughs) so things like this i realized at that time as well like how hard it is to live in poverty and to have the pressure to save the environment at that time uh wwf worldwide funds has a had a program to conserve the mangrove around the area I mean, we all understand how important mangrove ecosystem is uh, for spawning, you know, like they always call it like house for the fishes so then they can make babies (laughs) and we're going to have more fishes, like all the marine creatures. And these people living on the ocean floor, right, like on top of the oceans, like have no access to uh, drinking water. So for them to be able to have drinking water, they would have to boil the water that they took from the mainland and the only way to boil it is to light up a fire and the only wood they could access is the mangrove so they start chopping down the mangrove um to really just to boil water for drinking and i'm asking myself so what is more important do we save the mangrove and these people not drinking or do we let them like have their drinking water and not having the mangrove as as like the last protection of of our of our ocean it's a hard dilemma to face it it is a hard dilemma i mean like i had the privilege to sit down and thinking about this dilemma i had the privilege of time i had the opportunity to see like okay it doesn't have to be that extreme either we choose the mangrove or we choose your drinking water we can incorporate some basic simple technology and i could only come up to that 
um, conclusion because I had the luxury of time to think about it. And if you look at this community, they're day in, day out, like working, spending a lot of energy, a lot of time in the ocean. It took them like four hours just to get fresh water back to their their home. Um, and to realize that they, uh, they, they don't have the time to think of all of this solution that is probably available out there and it gives me this sense of that if you are the one who sit down able to think of things have the luxury of time it's your responsibility really to serve to bring that idea um, to the community and see what they think about it you know what an but invaluable experience really i mean it's to spend it, it must be to spend that much time there and to be really present with the people of that land and the sea nomads and really see the extreme poverty that they're facing and the hardships that they deal with day to day things that we just naturally take for granted because of our more developed society that we live in and I think it's amazing that you did that work. And I think this is kind of where Project Child comes into play. That's right. That's right. After that, I went back to Yogyakarta. Yogyakarta is a student city in Indonesia. It's a, a hub for like a lot of like people with ideas, you know, like it's very, um, it's like melting pot. It's like also heart of art in Indonesia. A lot of students, a lot of like-minded people. And I start talking to friends, look, um, we're university students, so we, we, we have something to give back. How can we give back? So that's the, the, the beginning of, of the project. Like just like friends talking to each other, like how do, we, how do we make use of our time? And you were so young, you were a university student. So you've been doing this for quite some time. You it founded was. the program in 2011. Right. Um, I founded the organization in 2011. Um, but like the seed of that project like started in 2007 we were already like group of people like would go to um on the street like and talking to like people who live on the street like if we can sit together with the children helping them out like reading or simple math like you know basic math Mm -hmm. yeah so we were doing that like but it wasn't structured it was like um you know, like the term voluntarily is like you give what you have, right? And sometimes you think, I don't have much to give. Like when life like start catching up with you and you always feel like I am behind everything, behind my schedule. Sometimes you feel like you are lacking everything. So there is not much to give. So that was the beginning of this project. And I realized if we really want to create change, if we want to be impactful, we gotta have to have a structure. So we gotta have to have that commitment to say like, I am giving this proportion of my time, my energy and, and my creativity, my heart to this project, you know? Like, and into 2011, after finishing my master degree, I thought like there's no better time to give back. I got another scholarship for my master degree. So I thought like, I've been so blessed with everything. Um, They sent me to Japan, got this double degree master program. You've been everywhere, you know, continuing your education. Coming from a very little island. Exactly. In the middle of Indonesia. (laughs) It's crazy. And I think it's such an incredible story that you have to share. I'd love to hear more about how the programs with Project Child have evolved over time. I know that 
Project Child has three main pillars. Volunteer engagement is one of them in particular. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more also about the different programs that Project Child engages in and also your focus on volunteer engagement. Starting with the voluntary engagement, I was a volunteer myself. I mean, like created a project and doing it like not getting paid to do it, you know, putting my professionality and my creativity and my passion into the project. And I thought like, what an incredible time of my life to be able to give this back without really getting anything in return directly. Indirectly, it's a lot, it's a lot. Like I always think like in giving back, you get so much more than what you give. Like it's funny how how those things works, you know? I always feel that it is true. So yeah, it was an incredible time of my life. And, and I thought like, look, you're university students and before going into work, like it's a labor, you know, like where <laughs> you have to pay the bills the and the professional like, world, professional the adult life, work, the responsibility. Like, there is key performance index you have to fulfill, like <laughs> you're always behind schedule. Wouldn't it be nice to just like do something for yourself in non-selfish way? in a way of serving the greater good, you know? So I start like designing this volunteering program for university students just before they're out of uni into, into professional life. And we've been getting like incredible feedback about it. Like a lot of our volunteers, it's like life changing. Some of them changed their study completely, you know, like the study economy and like after like six months, they were like, okay, I'm just gonna like study a little bit more of a business ethic and philosophy to enrich my understanding of economy, for example. And I thought like, wow, every person who realized that we play an active role in creating a society today and each of them waking up to the idea that each individual is powerful, it's added up to our collective win, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's very rewarding work for me. And not only are you helping the children in Indonesia who don't have access to the best educational system or healthcare and are living in deep poverty, but you're also helping the lives of these university students by broadening their perspective and enriching their mind and giving them different experiences to really see the powerful effects that giving back has. Exactly, Stella. Like, look, Indonesia has like around like 12% like extreme poverty and like 40% of Indonesian population is actually living vulnerably. They could fall into poverty one day to another. And we are talking huge number here. We have 200, over 270 million people in Indonesia. The number of like extreme Poverty in Indonesia is bigger than the whole entire Australian population, for example. (laughs) I mean, seeing it here in Bali, too, it's especially now with COVID and people not really having a steady income or not knowing when they're going to make money next. It's really people will do anything really to to get any money or cash. This is the best example, like COVID, for example, like you could be that 40 percent who's like having like an okay life, but you can fall into poverty one day to another when there is a disruptions in economy, like for example, COVID-19 and everyone lose their job. And this 40% of population don't have much saving. They don't have assets. And we're talking about like 110 million people here. 
But looking at this number, we also realize 60% of Indonesian population are actually alright. You know, they carry on in life. I always think if you belong to the 60% of the community, you have that opportunity to be in that box. It is your responsibility to serve the underserving community. I often talk about this to university students. Look, with that number of poverty in Indonesia, and here you are in a higher education, having the luxury of time to sit down, ponder about the world, you are privileged. Yeah. And if each of us in this 60% box realize how lucky we are, we can turn the narrative around this in our situation. Like we can really say like, hey, look, we are powerful. We right. can do something. Each person matters. Like we can do something. It can really be a powerful collective force. Exactly. But I think it has to come from an authentic place because we see a lot, especially in America, students going abroad to save the babies in Rwanda, for example. Yeah, like right. this is a very general, obviously general example. And it's for their resume or to get into a good college. Like it's not really coming from this authentic place. I think another term used for this is voluntourism. Exactly. Which exactly. is, I think, a problem. And so it's important, I think, to keep in mind that if you're going to engage in community service and volunteering, it has to come from a good within you. It can't be for show or it can't be inauthentic. Otherwise, what are you really giving? I love that you mentioned voluntourism. Like at the beginning of my project, like Project Child, we have a lot of like foreigners. They are doing like school here, the exchange program, right? And they're thinking, okay, I'm in Indonesia for a half year, one year. What do I do to make the best of it? You know, like some people like go and have like all party like every night, you know, and like island hopping. Like, I mean, like you're in tropics, right? You go bananas. <laughs> uh, and some students say like, oh, maybe I do something meaningful. And some students say like, maybe I do something that looks good on my resume. For me, like it is important to have a good intention, but it is important to work with an organization that can help you structurize restructurize this and help you realize that at the heart of a charity it is never about you and we we have mixed people coming like with m different motivations and with a proper training a lot of them realize that this is not about them and if they really want to get involved be connected with the society they will have to be able to look at like broader scale like you know like a lot of, of time we are having that microscope like mentality we are looking in and ourselves like what do i get out of it but like i'm asking people to really like get the binocular out and see like what is out there mm -hmm. um you are part of whatever is that out there and how, how you can give back and Seeing that you're, realize. yeah, that you're connected with everything in the world around you. So it is exactly. your your duty to, to give back. I think doing it for the right reasons and identifying what those reasons are is super important. And I love how you mentioned that doing some sort of volunteer work in a more formal structure, like within a charity or an organization, they have the tools to kind of guide you down the right path. Exactly, exactly. Intention is one thing. Um, how to do it right is another thing, you know, it's, it's a skill, mm -hmm. it's, it's a knowledge. 
and because it's a knowledge it can be learned so to create an organization that have a lot of procedure like a lot of standard operational procedure a lot of module and trainings was always been my biggest like passion you know like i do learn the hard way there was this one time like we get like a charity donation like of goods you know like beautiful like towels like my friends own a hotel and the hotel closed down and there's a lot of towels a lot of pillows blankets you know and he donated this all and he was just like oh can you take this to your community and i was really happy about this because i understand like i see it like firsthand like how children have to share like toothbrush how children have to share like towel with their siblings you know in a very disadvantaged community things like this happen so every little help matters so i was like really have the intention to come there and to help so i grab all the boxes like organize it like invite all the moms like i say like you know like take what you need little did i realize like this is this can cause so much problem because there is not enough things for everyone um and i was giving them like a very blur direction like very it wasn't very clear like oh just take what, take you, what need. you need and but little do you know everything. they need everything exactly <laughs> so then you're left with not that much yeah and like other moms start coming to me and say like oh why is that my neighbor get to towel and i didn't get any like how does this work like what are you doing and i realized oh my god good intention can lead to chaos if you are not prepared mm. so this was the beginning of project child and i realized okay if we really want to create impact and not chaos we have to be very mindful in the way we are doing our service and how has that shifted now since learning that lesson <laughs> We've come quite far. You really have. I mean, just looking at your website and through conversations that we've had, Project Child has achieved so much. You've worked with so many different organizations, sponsored by other organizations. You've had consultants from around the world, from some of the best consulting firms come and, and work on projects with you. I know right now you're working on an incredible training module for university students with the online learning assistance program that you've developed during COVID. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Again, like in a COVID situation where all children's learning from home, it's different home for different people. And like sometimes like it's like 16 square meters like of a house and there are like four or five people inside there's not much space for children to really learn right i mean like as an adult we feel like it is hard to work from home imagine as as Kids a child trying to learn without any distractions which you're not gonna get in exactly especially and in an impoverished home yeah and imagine that in a in a impoverished home there is literally no physical space to to study I imagine this is also confusing for them and they're not getting the best out of it. In a different household, parents would hire uh, private teachers coming to help the children's learning online. But in a lot of like disadvantaged community, parents didn't finish school. They're like second grade dropout, you know. Uh, and if you have like a child like fifth grade, you would be like in the dark how <laughs> to help them like doing their homework or how to assist them learning online. Again, we are looking at all of this problem, but it is an incredibly powerful to think of 
what we have, you know? Sometimes we're looking at problems and we think it's too complex. But it's like when we are moving a little bit like with a mindfulness direction into gratefulness, you know, we are looking at what we have. And I was thinking like we work with a lot of incredible university students and they were a child before they were fifth grade before so they would be able to help so we talk about this and a lot of of them like love the idea to be uh, an online learning assistant to these kids yeah it's been it's been amazing helping them with their homework helping the students adapt to online learning i think is so important and i know now you're taking more of this mindfulness oriented approach towards training the university students to become online learning assistants. Exactly. It is one thing to be face to face with children and and tell them like can you please like calm down so we can learn. But like when you are like on the other side of the screen and you're having like a child like having like all the distraction in a tiny 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 house and he probably didn't sleep very well too the night before probably didn't have his breakfast. It, it's it's very um, non-conducive environment to for learning, right? So I start developing this module how to bring children back to their body because only when you are in your body and you can feel your body, you start to develop sense of safety and security and only then like you can relax your parasympathetic nervous system like working more than the other one and the parasympathetic you know and with a little bit of mindful breathing or a little bit mindful movement we can create safety and security within a child's body we can help them access that they always have it we just have to be there to facilitate them to access these resources within them uh, to help them like prepare to be able to receive education so that's what we've been doing and i think like it's been incredible to see the feedback this is just the beginning we are on a draft one with this module and we start talking with university students and they were like teaching the children you teach me about this <laughs> i want to be able to relax and ready to receive information or receive love for example. it's amazing what you're doing and i think it's great that you did the yoga teacher training it was so <laughs> wonderful that we were able to be on the same program together because a lot of the content that we learned in the yoga course directly ties into the module in the training that you're trying to build right now about coming back into your body accessing the body's intuition and, and innate knowledge and how you can teach children that is so powerful and to even give that opportunity to university students who probably need it just as much if not more than than the fifth graders probably to understand <laughs> mindfulness and stress reduction and all of that i think is absolutely incredible i want to shift a little bit more into talking about the positive effects that giving back and and community service has. I took a positive psychology class about a year ago, and we learned about the the benefits of gift giving. So spending your money in a way that you're providing for other people, that you're gifting something to someone else instead of just purchasing and, and wanting everything for yourself, but really the psychological benefits and how it actually changes your brain structure or ignites certain parts of the of the brain when you're actually engaging in those giving actions. I love everything that you're doing in your organization, but 
on a more personal experience, how, how do you feel when you know that you're doing something good and you're serving other people? And how do you see that manifest in your volunteers? Oh, that's a, that's a very difficult question, Stella. I rarely check in with what I feel about what I'm doing. I just do it. And I mean, like I've been doing it for over a decade. So obviously I love it <laughs> and I, I, I feel good about it. But really, like truly, uh, it's very rare for me to ask myself, what do I feel about this? I also don't feel like it's it's a duty to go out there and serve. It's just like something that I really, really love doing. I love seeing progress. I love seeing impact. I love creating, uh, facilitating a community, you know, like for people to come together and do something, achieve something. And that's probably why I keep going. It's because like, I didn't realize how much it make me feel good about it, but I always have the energy to wake up in the morning and say, what's next? What can I do? What can I do more? What can I give more? A sense of gratitude, you know, like that um, I'm able to sit here having the, the, the luxury of time to think of what's the next step to give, you know, it's just like very empowering, I guess. We hear like from university students, like some of the people, like they have, they share their very personal stories. Like we have this young man, incredibly beautiful soul, feeling like he had to take his own life. Incredibly isolated. Indonesia is a Muslim like population. LGBTQ community are not very welcome in here. And he is part of this community. I cannot imagine the feeling of being so isolated and being so alone, you know, so lonely, um, unable to connect with the world outside of you. And he found us, he found the organization. He came, he shared his story, he was embraced. This is his own word. He finally felt like he belongs. And with that sense of, of gratitude that he is appreciated, he wanted to go out there and appreciate other people. So. It's amazing how, how these things work, you know, how like, transformative it is how to your life. It is like, um, he, f he felt like the community saved his life. I I'd say he saved his own. He's an incredible human being. He's, he was so vulnerable and he stepped outside of his comfort zone to find a place where he can connect, not just to the people outside of him, but to himself. It's amazing to see how, how, how transformative the experience is. He get a scholarship, go to Japan, study more, come back, do community Following your service. Following your footsteps. That's amazing. <laughs> it's really powerful, it is, it is this kind powerful. of work. I hear you talking a lot about your passion for this. It's so clear to me. In order to cultivate this mindset, would you say that people have to you know, go out and engage in community service? Or are there other ways to tap into this want to give back to others instead of just going to volunteer at a certain place or work with a specific nonprofit? Like how can people cultivate that giving mindset and how can it manifest differently? In my opinion, you can only give if you feel like you have something. So it always have to start within you, right? You feel like you are enough. And when you feel that you are enough, there is 
must have been that part inside you say like I have enough I want to give back like you know I have enough joy I want to give that smile um, I have more than enough clothes I want to donate I have enough income I want to support family far in faraway countries right <laughs> like whatever is that like it, it starts with this like feeling the enoughness within you be it a smile or be it like like charitable donation money you know like it's it's the same thing you always have to feel that it is enough first before you start giving um to give from the place of lackness is it, it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel good um there has to be like like very complicated motives behind that <laughs> But like, I think we all do have time to create that time to sit with ourselves and to understand that we are enough. I think we can really transform the way we see the world, like where we we can do something for others because, because we are enough. I think yeah. you should be a motivational speaker <laughs> in addition to really? what you're already <laughs> doing because that's incredible advice and it just is so clear to me how a lot of this work starts from yourself and building up your own self-esteem and your confidence and you know growing your capacity for love and compassion and through practices of gratitude there's so many things you can do to strengthen your own resilience and to become the best version of yourself so that you can share it with others i think that's an amazing message to share with my community so thank you aya and one question that I have for you that I ask every single guest that comes onto the podcast is what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins? Oh, wow. Um, that aside, the story of my... <laughs> uh, I always feel like the kick of endorphins like when, um, when I actually, when I go diving, connecting with nature. Um, it's, it's incredible to be out of your comfort zone uh, and feel challenged but also at ease at the same time and guy, diving gives me this opportunity to be just there with all the animals like not able to talk, not able to do much but to observe like the surroundings and in observing the surroundings like you can't help but observing your inner world and feel that it's an incredible life. That's beautiful. Yeah. You must have very strong lungs <laughs> to be able to free dive to the depths of I, the I ocean. Scuba, I scuba too. Oh I my scuba. gosh. I scuba dive. And like just talking about it already like make me feel like I miss diving so yeah, much. You're like tearing up. You're getting a little emotional. I mean, yes, yes. Like, I can't even imagine that type of experience to be that far under the water. I, I love going to the ocean and I'm only <laughs> seeing it from above i yeah. have never had the opportunity to really push myself and see what's beneath yeah so i think that's it's, incredible it is it's quite something to to be able to see something outside of you and feel like sense of deep connection for me like i always feel like a kick of endorphins whenever <laughs> i feel like i belong i connect you know yeah. humans are seeking connectivity it's like the, one of the strongest predictors of happiness is the strength of our relationships, feeling connected. Yeah. And not only to ourselves and to others, but to the entirety of the world around us, which is, you know, we have to take it day by day. It's not easy to feel that way. And there's 
it's a it's a long road ahead to to constantly be mindful of what it means to be connected to the surroundings and our environment. I am. Um, it's just been so wonderful chatting with you today, and I'm so happy that we were able to record this episode because I had the honor and the pleasure to soak in all of your wisdom this past <laughs> month and a half, and now I have the opportunity to share it with hopefully the world, but we're starting small, my community of listeners. So thank you again so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Stella. Thank you for listening. And remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time. Thank you.